Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 2. This is Lesson 14. We are going to continue where we left off in Chapter 14 and in John Chapter 5, Verse 1. He says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now, just as a point of interest, the pool mentioned here in the Hebrew actually alludes to twin pools, which archaeologically and later testimony of geographers and pilgrims confirm that the pool was double. And that probably means that must have been quite large, having five porches around it. So it was a quite a big area. Yeah? All right. Now it goes in the same verse 3. In these lay a great multitude. Now you understand why a great multitude could lay in these, because it was so big. Yeah? It says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. It's a really sad situation when you, when you think about all the different kinds of people that are there. You know, and, and looking at them, you just your heart would go out to them. Arkin Hughes describes this scene so well when he says, What a pathetic sight the crowd around the pool must have been. According to verse 3, a great number of disabled people were here. Not just a few, but hundreds of people gathered around those porches at Bethesda. The sick, including those with undiagnosed diseases, those who were feverish, they had to stay in the shade because the heat of the sun was unbearable, the blind, some congenitally blind, some newly blind, the sightless huddled close to the edge of the pool, hoping someone would lead them into the pool when the waters quivered, the withered and the lame who could not make it to the pool on their own, their only hope to reach the water was to crawl over others weaker than themselves. What a pitiful crowd of broken humanity. So before continuing on to verse 4, we need to briefly address the issue of the validity of the verse itself. Now, because there's some question, and the reason I'm doing this is, there was some question about this actual passage of Scripture. And I want to very briefly cover it, okay, with these comments. In his commentary, William MacDonald writes, While in many versions of the Bible, the latter part of verse 3, beginning with the words waiting for the moving of the water, and all of verse 4 are missing, these words are in the majority of manuscripts. Also, the story makes little sense without an explanation of why these six people were there. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, that, that was very key because people say, well, no, you know, we, we don't know about those verses, but then the, those verses explain the reason they were there. Otherwise, why have this whole multitude there? Amen? Added to this, even William Hendrickson says, after considering all the arguments that the possibility of supernatural angelic activity must not be ruled out. In the days of our Lord, ministry angels came into prominence again and again, and unusual powers and energies play an important role. All right, and so continuing on to verse 4 of John chapter 5, as mentioned, it does go on to explain what actually caused the moving of the water in verse 3 by saying, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, the popular view among commentators here is that the moving of the water was perhaps due to the bubbling up of a natural spring even though the twin pools themselves were known to be fed 
by very large reservoirs called Solomon's Pools. But if that was the case, and there was no supernatural activity involved, then it makes no sense at all that only the first person in it would be healed. Again, when you start rationalizing this, it just doesn't make any sense. If the waters did have some natural healing properties in it, as some have suggested, then why weren't all the sick simply in the pool all day, not just sitting around it? Can I get amen on that as well? Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're playing a little bit of chess here uh, because we need to address some of these things. And if people start arguing with you, you know, just you won't remember all this. It's okay. Not that I'm prophesying that over you. Uh, but just know there was a good reason that we know it was there. Okay? All right. As long as you walk away with that, that's all I need. All right. Nevertheless, as William Hendrickson so wisely points out, uh, points out, it must be stressed, however, that the miracle which occurs here when this sick man is cured is ascribed not to any medicinal virtue inherent in this particular pool, nor to any angelic activity, but to the power and the love of Jesus. It is on this miracle that we should place all the emphasis, not on the question whether or not miracles were constantly taking place at this pool. All right, so do you understand what all that was about? Okay, because we're going to talk about what Jesus did here, regardless of what was going on at the pool. Okay. And so, the narrative continues in verses 5 and 6 by saying, Now a certain man, notice whenever they use the words a certain whatever, we're not talking about a parable. Okay? It's a real thing. Okay? Always, I want to give you that as a little kind of clue when you're reading your Bible. If you ever see a certain rich man and Lazarus, people have tried to come up with all kinds of explanations that, you know, why that isn't... Hey, man, he actually named the guy. Okay? There was a rich man, and I understand why he didn't give him his name, because he didn't end up in a good place. Interesting, isn't it? Okay. Anyway. All right. So it says here, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. So this doesn't mean that the man had been at the pool for that length of time, just that he was suffering from this infirmity for that long, well before Jesus was even born. Okay, so this guy had this infirmity a long time. So, you know, we we can sort of gauge his age a little bit here as well. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew, okay, this is through divine revelation, that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, R. Kent Hughes points out that the reason for this question was because as the man looked out from the, those shaded porticos or porches, okay, he would have seen men and women out in the sun carrying their burdens and working. He knew that if he were healed, his life would take on larger responsibilities. And so the question the Lord asked was very relevant do you really want to be healed? Okay, do, did you get all of that? So, you know, he's, he, this guy knows that if he gets healed, he's got to go to work. So, you know, there's some people just don't want to be healed. You know, they, it is a lifestyle that they enjoy. They get served and they get looked after. Okay, so Jesus is asking him a question. He said, you all really want to get healed? See, a lot of people will ask for things that are the right thing to ask for without necessarily really wanting it, but you know, if they didn't ask, then they would look bad. Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay. So, you know, uh, people that come up, you know, some people come up and say, oh, could you pray for me for a job? Some of them are too happy on welfare. They don't really want a job. 
They just want to be seen, you know, just like going to the Centrelink and stuff. You know, you have to go and say you went and applied for six million jobs, you know, and then they'll keep giving you your what. You know what I'm trying to say, okay? And then they'll pay you. So it, it's the same. It's a funny thing. We play those games in church as well. Well, see, I'm going up for prayer every week for a job. Except you don't really want it. You know, so and not that I would ever do what Jesus did. <laughs> okay? I'm not going to say, do you really want a job? Do you really? No, okay? I, you know, I just say, dude, you're here. Let's pray. Let's see what happens. Okay? <laughs> Some days I pray for things and I think, honestly, God lets me know. There's something else going on. You know why he tells me? So I don't get disappointed when it doesn't happen. As ministers, expect that from God. He'll let you know. Amen? Okay. So, this brings up a very important point, and that is, not everyone sick wants to get well. Some people actually enjoy the attention and the benefits that accompany the sickness. Therefore, we must never assume that a person will welcome or even receive prayer for healing just because they are sick. We must always check before we pray. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Okay. In the present circumstances, God going to say, verse, uh, in verse 7, John 5, 7, The sick man answered him, uh, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. In short, his answer was yes. <laughs> okay, he wants to get healed. All right. This man definitely wanted to be healed. However, the problem he faced had nothing to do with willingness but mobility. He couldn't get to the pool quickly enough when the water stirred, and no one would help him either. Perhaps hinting to the kind of man he was, one who was not very noble. You know, now Jesus knows the kind of man he is, by the way. Let me say this before we go look at that. What if in your spirit, somebody came up for healing? You had the faith to get him healed. They, they had the receptivity to receive that. But you looked at him and thought, you know, dude, you're not a good person. Think of somebody you don't like right now. I know all of you are saints, but just think of, try to conjure one up. Okay? Let's say they came up to you, were ministering, they came up to you to get healed. Now, listen, okay? So Jesus, he knew all men. He knows what kind of person this is. And yet, there's no hesitancy. Alright? I want to draw your attention to this. He asked him a question. He said, yes, there's nobody to get me there. Okay? He wouldn't say, why? Jesus knew. Went right over that and he said, all right, fine. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Wow, okay. In other words, there was no need for an angel this day. The creator himself, the captain of the armies of heaven, which included angels, was standing right before him. And with a single utterance, this man's 38-year affliction was over. Isn't that something? Huh? After that long, one word from Jesus, and he's gone. It's over. Amen. Interesting enough, Leon Morris points out that this healing differs from many others in that not only is there no mention of faith on the part of the man, but there seems to be no room for it. He did not even know Jesus' name. Moreover, until Jesus uttered the critical words, his thoughts were centered on healing through getting into the pool. Interesting, isn't it? Okay, and it's really important that we see all of these things. Because, you know, sometimes we, we get into this religious mindset where we think, well, now, brother, you need to have this, you need to have faith, you need to blah, 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 blah. 
Do you understand? And so we start building all kinds of conditions. We, you know, we, we, we come up with all sorts of things that we say, well, you know, if you don't do this, and if you don't do this, and if you don't believe this way, and if you don't listen to this. You know, this guy didn't have any time to go sit and listen to tapes. Can, can I just be real with you guys? Okay, uh, See this, please, because I want you to see this. Okay? The reason why, it's very interesting. Notice what gospel this is in. This is in John's gospel. This is the same gospel that talked about Jesus turning water into wine. Okay, it's one of those gospels, and like I told you, I, you know, I wonder sometimes whether John went to heaven before he started writing all of this. Because I, there's an insight into what he writes and why he writes things much that goes far beyond all the other three. I'm just going to say that. Okay? And you know, when I look at his stuff, I think, why did you put that there? Because all the others say, well, they had their faith, and you know, it's your faith made you whole, and all that stuff. Here, nothing. Absolutely nothing. He says, you want to get here? Uh-huh. I have nobody to take me to the water. He goes, take a bed and go home. Okay. That's it, dude. End of story. Why am I saying that? One of the things I found that the enemy does is he says, okay, okay, okay. You believe that healing is for everybody? Okay, yes, but... And he sticks a but in there. And he says, but you need to be this way. They need to have that faith. And all of these things start piling up. And so you go from, you believe, you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover, to only if they dot, dot, dot. It's all conditional. And the more conditions we throw on something, the more we are stopping God from moving through us in the way that He wants to do what He needs to do. Because we're standing and saying, yeah, but God, like, just like, you know, <laughs> I remember this now. These two people come up in the healing line, right? The ministry is praying for different people. And this lady is standing next to another lady. And this minister is about to pray for her. And she said, you know what, I have a word from the Lord. And he goes, oh, what, what is it, sister? She goes, God told me that if that lady takes off the diamond ring, then she'll get healed. And he said, is that right? So he went and put, laid hands on her. She got healed. She, this one didn't. <laughs> Hello. Are you with me? You know why? Because this one had a critical spirit. You get it, right? Let's, let's move on. Okay. <clears throat> So, in other words, we can deduce from this, while faith on the part of the individual is preferable, it is not essential, as long as the person praying for them has enough faith to get the job done, and the individual being prayed for isn't opposed to the prayer. Did you get all of that? Okay. One of the biggest problems that I've found that we have in, in praying for people that are Christians are their religious ideas. You know, it's easy to get someone healed that doesn't believe anything, in a sense that, you know, doesn't have religious ideas, than somebody that has all this history behind their religion and their Christianity. Yes, but my uncle got prayed for, he died. My aunt got prayed for, she died. Everybody here that got prayed for, I died. Why does it make me... You, you have to deal with all of this stuff suddenly. And you're thinking, dude, there's you and me. I'm praying, I'm believing. I don't know what all the other guys did. but And see, just to have that conversation is a waste of time. Are you all with me? So instead of just doing what we need to be doing, you know, a lot of times this is where Jesus always ran into this one problem, was he, when he dealt with a religious mind, 
there were problems. And so I need, I need you guys to realize that as well. That when you're, don't think, I'm saying this for this reason, don't think just because a Christian asks you to pray, oh, that's cool because they're a Christian and I'm going to pray for them and it's going to work. Don't, okay, don't be disappointed if it doesn't. The reason is, they might have preconceived ideas in their mind about, oh yeah, she, you know, you're going to pray, and yeah, yeah, I don't know if I believe in all that stuff, but yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you, you can pray for me. And while you're pouring your heart out, that's what's going on in their head. In this case, both requirements were fulfilled. Uh, Jesus had the faith, this guy wasn't opposed to it. Verse 9, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And there we go. That's where the music changes. Okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> because you're not meant to heal on the Sabbath, says the Jewish leaders. Never God. Never God. Okay. So before we go on, please make note the sequence of events here. It did not say that when the man decided to take up his bed, he was made well. But after the man was made well... Only then did he take up his bed and walk. All right. I need to deal with that for a minute. One of the, I wrote that in for a reason. That was my cue to talk to you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> there is a certain mentality um, where you know, people say, well, you, know, you need to demonstrate your faith. So you need to get up and walk around or whatever. Do something you didn't do. And, you know, and, and while that has merit, we need to understand the difference because... You do that because something has happened to you. And you can do that. So when a person asks you to do that, there should have been faith exercised that something did, a miracle did take place on the inside of you, that you could start to do something you couldn't do before. And so rather than just sitting there and you know something has happened that you don't have to be there anymore, you can actually get up and walk, that's what they mean. What some, some preachers have done that are lazy, are said, well... I'm going to pray for you, and you know it's up to you to get up and walk. And they have not exercised any faith. It's more judgment than anything else. They won't judge themselves. Whether they release enough faith, they're, ju- they're now going to judge the person, whether they exercised their faith, and got up and walked, or they didn't. And so we're going to point the finger at you and say, see, you didn't have any faith, so that's why you didn't get healed. Hang on a minute. Go back to the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Guy didn't have any faith at all, as far as we know. Are you with me? This is all on Jesus. And he did it. So, sweetheart, before you stand there and point the finger at somebody else because they didn't get up and walk around, I've seen this happen. You know, and that's the reason why I'm just sharing this with you. That you know, they say, well, that person you know, couldn't get up and walk because they didn't have any faith. Excuse me, sweetheart, you prayed for them. That was up to you. Unless they were rejecting what you were saying. That's different. There's a whole another kind of worms, right? But don't you point your finger at them and say, because they didn't get up and walk around, they didn't have any faith. That's why God didn't heal them. Yeah, they do. And people do that. Some, you know, okay. It's never their fault. Hello. Can I give you a different mentality? Why don't you always make it your fault? Every single time. Whether it works or it doesn't, just make it your fault and then go from there. Because then God can talk to you. And if you need to grow, you'll grow. And if it's not your fault, He'll let you know. Alright, uh, getting back to this. William Hendrickson explains that at the word of Jesus, new strength and vigor surged through this man's whole body. And he picked up his mat and was walking. 
Added to this, D.A. Carson quoting Barrett says, Just as the 38 years prove the gravity of the disease, so the carrying of the bed and walking prove the completeness of the cure. In other words, there was no question of how serious, permanent, and devastating this affliction was, and therefore how equally powerful, absolute, and miraculous the healing was. And as to what we might imagine may have happened next, R. Kent Hughes writes, What do you think happened after this man uh, was healed? Do you think he calmly rose to his feet, straightened his robe, and said, Oh yes, my bed, as he calmly rolled it up and walked off nonchalantly, or casual or indifferent, toward his home? He says, I don't think there's a ghost of a chance that it was like that. If this man's personality was anything like mine, when he stood to his feet and felt those muscles become firm and his legs enlarge, he let out a shout that rippled the water. He began to jump and say, look at me, 38 years a cripple, but now I'm healed. Maybe he did that, maybe he did not. But I doubt he was nonchalant or casual or indifferent. Yeah? You know this would have been a very exciting day for him and his family. He would have had... You know, this guy didn't come from nowhere. Okay? <laughs> UFO didn't come and drop him in. Okay? So obviously there were people that cared for him and loved him. And, you know, what an incredible story he would have had to tell him. Amen? They said, you got in the pool? No. A guy. One guy. One guy. <laughs> he came up said, take up a bed and go home. Here I am, you know. <laughs> that was the end of it. <laughs> I'm sure they said, who is this guy? <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right. And uh, of course, all this happened on the Sabbath. And so it goes in to say, John chapter 5, verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, Isn't it amazing? Praise God you were cured. I mean, you've had this for so long. And we are so thrilled that you finally got your healing. Should have been what it said. But no. This is how the religious mind works. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. You know, if I was that guy, I would have taken his bed and beat the Jew. with. I'm just saying, I would have just, you know. I just said, here, have my bed. <laughs> yeah, all of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Now let's get back to this. Okay, I repent. All right. <laughs> Seriously, man, you know, I mean, really, really, you know, somebody says something like that, you know? It's, it, it, it's, it's like somebody saying, oh, you, you know, who's just lost their loved one, and they say, well, there's more room in the house for you now, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? You know, you want to send them off with your loved one. <laughs> you know, hello. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> in reading this, many people, especially preachers, think that Jesus broke God's law. For a good cause, of course, when in fact he never did. Now, I have actually heard uh, people say that. That, yeah, 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 you know, he, he did break the law, but he was uh, the, the, the Lord of all of this. And he, no. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill every jot and every tittle of the law. Huh? So you can't, you, you just cannot say that Jesus broke laws and say he was justified in doing that because blah, blah. He never did. And it's really sad when preachers are up there preaching and, you know, TV and what all. And they don't know that. Because it starts making Jesus look bad as well. 
And they miss things. They miss the fact that he never broke any of it. If ever he did something that seemingly was breaking the law, it was because it wasn't a law of God. It was a law of the elders or a tradition or something else. It wasn't God. It had been twisted so much that it wasn't even recognizable. Amen? Amen. Oh, I've run out of time. For this reason, <laughs> next time we come back, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take a little uh, look at this a little more closely uh, and see what laws he really did break. All right, let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's conclude for tonight. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, Father, for all the amazing things that we are learning. And we thank you, God, for your spirit that is here.